Thank you all so much for coming out on this rainy first day of spring. Welcome to Conversations with Conscious Enterprises live at Urban Zen. My name is Roxana, and if you're familiar with our online series at all, you know that we are exploring the evolution of consciousness through business. Tonight's event is celebrating women, business, and the mind-body connection. Three topics imperative to understanding how businesses can thrive. It is such a pleasure to have all of you here. So you, if you RSVP'd and you've checked in tonight, you have been entered into a raffle giveaway. So be sure you stick around to the end of the conversation to find out if you've won. The winner will receive an autographed copy of Emily's book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, a bottle of Dr. Karuna's collagen supplements, and an online video course from Danielle, uh, along with Deepak Chopra, called Workplace Wellbeing and the Soul of Leadership. I also just want to say thank you to Urban Zen, our partner on this event. Um, I mean, what a, a spectacular oh, space. This is, yeah. <laughs> Let's give it a round of applause. Um, this is Donna Karen's philosophy of living, where she connects the dots with like-minded organizations like Conscious Enterprises. So for those of you on the live feed who can't really appreciate where we are sitting right now, we are sitting am amongst some beautiful art by 15 female artists. Um, this exhibit is called King Woman, um, and if you have time to check it out at some point, I highly encourage it. To kick things off, before I introduce these phenomenal panelists, um, I'd like to get us all aligned with an opening meditation, and who better to guide us than Emily Fletcher, the founder of Ziva Meditation. All right. So this will just be a moment. It'll be two or three minutes just to drop in, to ground, to get present, to open ourselves up, get on the same vibe, same frequency, so that we can all have the highest experience possible. Uh, so to start, let's go ahead and close our eyes and just settle in. I recommend having your back supported if, you, if that's available to you. And taking a big, delicious inhale through your nose, exhaling through your mouth. So good. And inhaling again through the nose for the count of two. Exhaling through your mouth for the count of four. So we're doubling the length of the exhale from the inhale. Again, inhale for two. And this time as you exhale, imagine softening your brow, your jaw, your shoulders, your belly. And again, inhaling. And this time as you exhale, imagine softening your hips, imagining the muscles in your legs starting to melt, feeling your feet on the ground, just letting go of anything that isn't serving you, any anticipation of what may or may not happen, just letting all that go. And now I invite you to let your breath be easy, gentle, innocent. We're going to use a short mindfulness exercise called Come to Your Senses. We're going to use all five of our senses to ground ourselves so firmly in this present moment, in this body, right here, right now. So to begin, I invite you to hear all the sounds you can detect. 
the prevalence of my voice, the walking of the shoes, the clicking of the camera. And this is an opportunity to pull the lens of our awareness out, to zoom way out, and to include everything that's happening inside of this experience. We're not seeing the sounds as distractions, as good sounds or bad sounds, but simply noticing what's the most prevalent. And now listening for the most subtle sound you can detect. Can you hear your own breath? Really good. And now ever so gently bringing your awareness to your sense of touch. So asking what's the most prevalent tactile sensation happening in my body right now. For most of us, it'll be our bums in the chair. If there's a pain in your knee or your heart is racing, again, we're not judging these sensations as good or bad. We're simply noticing what's the most prevalent. And now tuning your attention to the most subtle tactile sensation. Can you feel your clothes against your skin? Can you feel the breath as it enters and exits the nostrils? Really good. And now even with the eyes closed, I invite you to see what you're seeing. prevalence of the blackness, the subtlety of the light streaming through your eyelids, the colors in your mind's eye. And now taste what you're tasting. Is your mouth acidic or dry? Is it the absence of taste? And finally, smell what you're smelling. How does urban zen smell different than the West Village? How does a rainy day smell different than a sunny day? Can you smell your own shampoo, your neighbor's cologne? Using our five senses as a tool to ground ourselves into the right brain and the right now. So cycling through on your own, hearing, feeling, seeing, tasting, and smelling. Giving yourself permission to be so deliciously human, so present in your body, reminding yourself that you cannot veer off your destiny, that you are exactly where you're meant to be, because you're going to learn something, grow in some way, or share some knowledge with someone who needs it. And from this space of expanded awareness and acceptance, I invite you to set your intention for tonight. What's one thing you'd love to learn? What's one discovery you'd love to make? What's one thing you can offer to someone in this room? Sending out a little psychic postcard. And knowing that as you do that, everyone else in the room is doing the same. And taking a big, delicious inhale. And as you exhale, letting go of the day, letting go of anything that is not serving you, any limiting beliefs, and in your own time, whenever you're ready, we can start to bring our awareness into the body, into the room. And we can start to slowly, gently open the eyes.
high five. You did it. Here we are. Oh, thank you. So fun. Kind of wanted to stay there. <laughs> we'll just meditate all night long, you guys. <laughs> just intuit what we have to say. <laughs> Silent panel. <laughs> all right. Tonight we're talking about women, business, and mind-body connection. And what a better group of powerhouse ladies to encompass, to encompass this trifecta in so many ways. Starting with Emily Fletcher here. She is the founder of Ziva Meditation, the author of the best-selling book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, which has just sold 22,000 copies. Congratulations. She's considered a leading expert in meditation for high performance, having trained Oscars, Oscar, Grammy, Emmy, and Tony Award winners, NBA players, CEOs, busy parents, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. She's been featured in the New York Times, the Today Show, Vogue, and ABC News, and named one of the top women in wellness to watch. And she's also a previous Broadway performer. Thank you for being here, Emily. Next, we have Dr. Karuna Sabnani, founder of Karuna Naturopathic Healthcare here in the West Village. She's an Ayurvedic and natural medicine expert with patients domestically and internationally. She is a health and beauty advisor to supermodel Iman's company, Iman Cosmetics. She is a writer for the Huffington Post. She has appeared on national networks and has been featured on shows such as Dr. Oz. And she's also the author of Get Relief from Time Deficit Disorder. Thank you for being here, Corona. And on the far side for me, we have Danielle Posa founder of The Wellbeing Hacker. She is a childhood cancer survivor. She has led events with Deepak Chopra and has been mentored by Deepak Chopra. She is an expert in global research behind well-being as a former executive at Gallup organization. She left Gallup seven years ago to consult independently with conscious brands, and her mission is to educate the world on how to measure and elevate well-being, and she does this through a variety of live and online courses. Thank you for being here, Danielle. Thank you. Our first question for the panel is about womanhood. The rhetoric around successful women CEOs and women business leaders has always emphasized the adoption of the, what I'll call the extreme dark side of masculine traits, being cutthroat or aggressive, insensitive, or apathetic, for example, and perhaps a suppression of many feminine attributes in, over, in order to achieve success. But what I see when I look at the new and evolved and conscious businesswomen emerging today, like those of you on this panel, are well-balanced energetics of pragmatic entrepreneurs who are also fully owning their womanhood, their intuition, their empathy, and honing into their sensitivities. All the things that make women so powerful. Can women have all these attributes, masculine and feminine, and should we? And how have each of you established this balance of feminine and or masculine energies in your lives? Do you want to start with me or sure. just where I'm feeling inspired? <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Okay. 
Uh, I actually feel like I used to be out of balance. I felt like I used to have too much masculine energy. Uh, I remember when I went to India, I got a mala necklace, and it was like Rudraksha mala beads, and they were meant to enhance masculine energy. And and so when someone told me that, I immediately took them off, and I got some moonstone mala beads. <laughs> Uh, and then I told my husband that. I was like, I think I have too much masculine energy. And he's like, you're an idiot. No, you don't. <laughs> he, didn't, he doesn't think I'm an idiot. He's not like misogynistic. But um, it was interesting because around my husband, I did not have an imbalance. I think because I am a strong woman, I, I think I had this idea that I needed someone that was always going to balance me out or that had a reciprocal um, ratio of masculine and feminine energy, so I would attract men that had a lot of feminine energy. And I think we all have masculine and feminine energy. And I think that sometimes it's hard for us to uncouple male-female from masculine-feminine, uh, but I think we all want to have a balance of all of it. And so I think that this rising of the divine feminine that is happening does not have to be a confrontation to men. It doesn't really, it's, it's not gender-specific, I don't think. It's, it's really a rising of the feminine energy which should be waking up in women and in men. And I think we're seeing that in entrepreneurship right now. Um, I think that I, as far as my business is concerned, I think we have a model of generosity. I think that's one of the reasons why we've been so successful. Um, our marketing plan is really uh, nurturing. It's taking as good of care of our people as we can. And then that becomes its, mar its own marketing message. And then there's also a decent amount of hustle, but I don't think that that's necessarily masculine. When I feel myself get at getting out of balance, it's when I'm just working unsustainably. And, uh, and even through this book launch, like I, have a, I also have a nine-month-old son, so I'm like waking up into this feminine, I mean, that is a very feminine thing, is when you, you know, conceive a child and gestate a child and birth a child. Um, and I was birthing this book simultaneously, and so I felt like I actually had to wake up uh, I remember going into labor, my word was uh, ferocity. I just wanted to be ferocious. I wanted to wake up my inner ferociousness. <laughs> and I feel like I've had to do that in order to protect, not protect, to call on the amount of strength that I have access to. And I find that it's really serving me, that it's just made me cut. Like I'm just relentlessly prioritizing so that I have the space to take care of myself, to take care of my son, and to take care of my students. I don't know if I answered the question, but that's what I have to say about that. Yeah, that sounds great. Karuna, how about you? So I'll start off where Emily just left off, because I feel like we have such a dichotomy in our culture between what action is and what intuition is. And I think people mistake action and aggression. And there's a way to be active or take your business out there or market yourself and who you are without being aggressive. See, aggression is, there is a male characteristic that's associated with aggression because that's testosterone related. So some of that is natural for men. I think for women, it's really important, and it's been for me, to cultivate that softness and intuition all the time because that's our natural power. So that is what our power is. There's no actual separation between masculine and feminine power if we're being natural to who we are. Now, going back to the last part of what Emily was saying, which is really interesting, which was describing the cutting and having to cultivate that ferociousness, it really reminds me of the goddess Kali, which comes from, you know, the tradition that I practice. And there's different faces of the goddess for a reason. Kali is more of that wrathful expression. When you need her, you call on that virtue, which is what I do. 
when you need more of that nourishing, mothering, kind of, you know, just all-encompassing mama energy, you call on Lakshmi. And for me personally, in my practice, a lot of my patients call me Dr. Mommy. It's been with me for 15 years, that nickname. And I feel like when I'm with patients, I really have more of that energy. I'm hosting anything that comes up for them, whether it be, you know, that affair their husband's having or that hormonal breakdown they're having or whatever it is that they can't show to the world, they're allowed to show it there. And I'm hosting them like mama, right? But when it comes to the business world, of course, we have to market ourselves. We need to put ourselves out there. But there's a way to do it where we're not fighting. I think that is, you know, really important with the question that came up from Roxana. What's happening in our society is that People are saying, oh, you know, women are so aggressive, they're fighting, why are you so masculine? Oh, you're trying to be like a man? We're not trying to be like men. We just want our voices heard. That's the difference. So how can we do that and be soft at the same time? Having a, you know, very sharp tone is not necessarily being harsh. It's just having a sharp tone, right? It's about knowing who you are, really. And for me personally, you know, I grew up in an Indian family, first generation, and I'm the oldest. So, of course, you know, we had that be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, which we have all three in my family, ironically. You know, so it was for me how to do it differently, like having that major ancestral background and definitely pressure. I mean, I grew up and my dad said, you know, you're the oldest and I wanted to have a son. And it's you, so you're just going to be my son. Now, I took that and I ran with it. I went to, you know, the first women's college that was founded, which is Mount Holyoke, United States, and I definitely was like gung-ho, feminist, feminist. But really to get to this point now, years later, where I can be that voice for women, because a lot of women, I feel like, you know, are still battling with allowing themselves to be soft in the world. A lot of them do it, like, in my office, and I'm sure to all of us, um, you know, on this panel in our individual sessions, but it's much harder to do when we're out here. So I think it's like a constant reflection that we have to give ourselves. Like, are we in our bodies? Are we in our hearts? Are we getting enough touch? Are we nourishing ourselves enough before we put that out there? So I think that's really important to remember, like, nourishment. Great answer. Do you mind just reading it again one more time real yes, quick? Of course. Um, basically, the question is, is about um, masculine and feminine energy, and should women have both, and how have you established a balance of both masculine and feminine energy? Okay. Got it. Um, hello. So um, thank you for this, because this is an amazing, amazing place to be for so many reasons, not just the space, but the whole conversation. And uh, I love this question. I think it's so important. Um, it's like a question of our times right now, I think, this, you know, balance of male and female energy that just exists in the world, as opposed to it, you know, even thinking of it from an individual place. And when I first saw the question, um, I immediately, when, when you know you first sent it out to us, I immediately thought of this week, what happened to me, because I faced a challenge of my own male-female energy earlier this week. And I actually, I used to work with a coach, um, his name was Martin Cohen, and 
he, every time we would meet, he would ask me where my energy balance was, what percentage masculine was I that day, and what percentage feminine. And it got this thing ingrained in me as like, wow, we, you know, I, I, there, at any time I could be embracing one energy or the other energy. And he would talk about the fact that it's, you know, it's not male-female and that we all have this energy and that, you know, some men lead with female ener- with feminine energy or masculine energy. And when you strike the balance, that's kind of like the juiciest, most, um, you know, powerful place. And I think it's like the most authentic. So anyway, back to my story. So I, uh, so early, I have a six-month-old. This is one of my first times out of the house in the past six months. I'm doing and great. <laughs> thank you. Um, which is very cool that this gets to be one of the first places I get to be in, in these past six months. So um, her name is Giovanna, and she's super cute and animated. And, you know, babies, are, I think, are meant to be these, like, presence makers. You know, they kind of, like, ground you in, in the present because you kind of have no choice but to just be with them. And I was kind of struggling because I, I do have a tendency to always want to work. I love the work that I do, and I'm constantly – you know, when you're breastfeeding, your your mind's racing with all the things that you want to do that you actually can't be doing at that moment, right? So you're just, like, constantly, I'm, like, torn between, kind of like you said, Emily, this very much in the midst of this feminine energy while, like, kind of the masculine energy is running, wanting to do things, wanting to accomplish things, wanting to check things off my, my to-do list. And I realized that I was, like, starting to get really stressed out over the past couple of weeks because of this this challenge between the two energies and Martin actually happened to call me out of the blue earlier this week and asked me how I was doing and I was like wow that's kind of strange and when I realized that I had to actually give into the feminine energy of not wanting to just do 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 and like surrender to this child that I have and appreciate her and just be present with her it was like all of a sudden things opened up. I realized the stuff that I didn't really need to be focusing on in my work and what was more important and that I just wanted to, you know, focus on like one thing. I have this retreat coming up and I'm like, that's the most important thing for me right now. And it created this clarity. So I think the, I guess like kind of the moral of the story is, you know, we all have these energies going on, you know, within us at any given time. And when you can strike that balance, leverage, you know, the masculine when it's important to get those things done, to, you know, do the things in, in your life that need kind of that accomplishing. And then leverage the feminine to be, you know, present and, you know, powerful in a very authentic way. I think that's that's kind of the, you know, that, that has a lot of potential for us as individuals, but really as a society if we all kind of become more balanced in that way. Great. So balanced <laughs> utilization is what we should be striving for, it sounds like. Also just one thought. I'm just wondering how many men have ever had a coach ask them, hey, what kind of balance are you having between masculine and feminine energy today? And, like, what a different world we would live in if that question was being asked to both genders. Great thought, yeah. Very, very key thought. We should start asking. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) Our next question is about business and leadership. Um, Each of you have excelled in very different fields uh, um, before you began your careers. Um in places quite different from where you are today. Where along your journeys did you have your aha moment to build the businesses you have now, and has the original intention shifted or changed at all? 
So I used to be on Broadway for 10 years, and my last show was a chorus line where I was understudying three of the lead roles, which means you show up to the theater with no idea which character you're going to play. Sometimes I'd just be chilling in my dressing room doing my taxes, and someone would get on the loudspeaker and say, Emily Fletcher, we need you on stage. And I would start panicking because I wouldn't know which outfit to put on, so I'd just grab all three of my leotards, run down seven flights of stairs, someone would put me in a costume, and sometimes I would be on stage before I knew which character I was. I'd be like, well, there's no Val, so I guess I'm Val, and just into tits and ass. Uh, that's the name of a song. I was not a stripper. Uh, and so anyway, this constant anxiety led to insomnia. I, started, um, I couldn't sleep through the night for 18 months. I started going gray at the tender age of 27. I started getting sick and injured. And so here I am living my dream on Broadway, doing the thing I wanted to do since I was a child, and I was miserable. And so long story short, I found meditation. It cured my insomnia on the first day. I stopped going gray. I'm going to be 40 on, on Wednesday, and I have one gray hair. I was legitimately going gray in my late 20s. I did not get sick for eight and a half years after learning. I then had my bachelorette party and really earned that one. Um, I, and basically this thing up-leveled my performance so dramatically that I felt inspired and compelled to share it with others. So I left Broadway, went to India, started what became a three-year training process to teach. Um, what I did was a little bit more akin to getting your PhD in the Vedas than it was like a weekend yoga certification. It was you know, thousands of hours of apprenticeship, thousands of hours of meditation, hundreds of hours of transcribing books in Sanskrit by hand. I mean, it was not a joke. Um, anyway, then I graduated. I started teaching the, just, the, just meditation, the meditation that helped me so much. And I did that for about five years or so. And then I started noticing that the world is filled with ex-meditators. <laughs> I mean, just to take a little poll, how many, and this is maybe not a great cross-section of humans to ask this question to. I'm not going to ask. Um, but I'll tell you that when I normally speak at corporations or events, I'll say, how many people have tried meditation? 100% of the hands go up. And then I say, okay, how many of you guys have a daily practice? And about 98% of the hands go down. But like every single day you do it come hell or high water. It's like, two to five percent depending on the room and bridging that gap of the people who know they should be meditating and the people who are actually effing meditating that's why I wrote my book that's why Ziva exists and it's why I actually pivoted from teaching just meditation to developing the Ziva technique which is a trifecta of mindfulness meditation and manifesting the three M's. And we use them in different ways. A lot of people think that mindfulness and meditation are the same thing. They're not. I would define mindfulness as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Like the exercise we did earlier, I would call that mindfulness. The meditation that I teach at Ziva is all about getting rid of your stress from the past, which is the thing that actually uplevels your performance capabilities and increases your cognitive performance. And then the manifesting is good for high achievers and high performers because like, oh, I didn't just waste my time. Now I can really hitch that meditation time to what I want to create and the goals I want to accomplish. Um, so anyway, yes, there was both a big aha moment that made me start and then a big aha moment that made me transition. And really, to be very honest, I left sort of the patriarchal nest that I was in of the meditation tribe that I was in, and then I left, and I started my own thing. And that felt, and, and the question that I asked when I developed the Ziva technique was, how does the divine feminine want to flow through me? Like, how can I bring a feminine voice into what is largely a very patriarchal, like, you know, male student to teacher, very... Um, you know, like guru, student, lineage. And I think we're moving into, like, as this divine feminine is waking up, we're going to have, like, a lot of little Buddhas instead of, like, one big Buddha because we're all going to have more of a direct access to the divine, which is what I think intuition is. Your intuition is God cueing you as to where God wants to use you. And the louder that intuitive voice is, the more you can act in alignment with the divine. And so, and that seems to have 
be, it seems to be working. Like it seems to be, I seem to be getting high fives from nature the more I'm innovating and creating. So you basically, from the inception of Diva Meditation till now, it's been kind of the same, the same motivation. Well, same, what do you mean motivation? Like has anything changed in your intention with what you're doing? Yeah, big time. So in the beginning I was just teaching meditation and then about in 2017, so only two years ago is when I developed the Ziva technique, um, which is like when I started teaching this trifecta, it's when I sort of doubled down on working with high performers. Mm. And, and, and the reason why I do that is that I wanted to, like this book and my whole company really is basically like a Trojan horse. It's basically like wrapping the very powerful medicine that is meditation in the candy coating of like, hey, it's going to make you more money and help you have better sex. Like, because that's what we're all trying to do. When people say I'm too busy to meditate, what they're really saying is I'm prioritizing things that make me money over things that make me happy. And so basically it's like, okay, well, what if there was a tool that would make you more money and help you have better sex? And, oh, yeah, you're going to be less of a dick. Like, why would you not do that? <laughs> you know, and so I'm basically just, it's a bit of like just get in there, let people start meditating, because I don't care why people start. Once you start, you're going to be more empathetic. Your insula, your empathy center of your brain is going to get developed. You are going to be all more altruistic. You will be more generous, even if your motivation for starting was you wanted less cellulite. Karina? keep going with that then. So when I first started my medical practice, it was like 16 years ago or something, I was seeing a lot of patients. I was getting good results, you know, but mainly I was feeling that something was missing both for them and for me. Again, I was new, I was young, and I didn't figure out right away what that was. But then over time I realized, I realized what that was is that most people get sick because they have a soul hunger. Now, what happened when I started figuring that out is I myself realized I had that soul hunger. It's not something I really usually talk about in public, but I feel like, you know, we're a vulnerable crowd here, so let's do it. And I realized even though, you know, my practice was successful, I was living in New York at the time, um, something wasn't right. You know, some, it wasn't fulfilling, and I took a step back myself and left New York and studied more of my own spiritual path, which just came upon me, which I think does for a lot of people when you're ready. You know, the teacher will come in whatever form you need it. And I realized slowly over time, as I took a step back also from my work, that everything is eating. Either we're eating or we're being eaten may sound scary, it's true. So it's like, you know, I told you I was going to follow up, Emily, we're just going to keep this bridge going here. Um, and we have to watch where our energy is going. We're eating with all five of our senses. Now, when I first started my practice, I wasn't completely aware of that. It was like, okay, we'll steam your kale, have your almonds. You know, I don't do that anymore because the health is not in the food, the health is in you. And the food you need is the food you need. Someone's poison can be another person's nectar and vice versa, and I've seen that. And it can change for you moment to moment and season to season, which you know, I also practice Ayurvedic medicine and we're always looking at that, right? But medicine is not only the food that you put on your plate, your so-called restaurant plate. It's what you put on your life's plate. That's what I didn't realize when I first started, when I became a naturopathic doctor. It wasn't big enough. It wasn't holistic enough, even though I had that training, right? So I realized the five senses in Ayurveda, they're everything, and they're there for a reason. Because 
what you surround yourself with, whether it's taking in, you know, music, who's touching you, how you're touching yourself, the sense that you're taking in, the environment you're in. I mean, the environment you're in has such an effect. Look at everyone here has just been so happy to be in this space. There's a reason for that. It's feeding you. And when we look at everything that we're taking in, we have such a different experience in our health. And that's, that was my big aha moment was feeling that, you know, soul hunger. And then teaching my patients to first of all identify where you're lacking because it's very different, you know. For me it may be, oh, yes, you know, I just want, I need like that perfect relationship and it will balance everything out, which is true. Kind of, you know, you never know. That's what I may need, you know. Over here, we may need, like, the perfect nanny, like, down the road. She's thinking, yeah, yes, I want to get my, you know, work going. Where's the perfect nanny? And then her stress will release, cortisol will come down, and she'll feel better. All the kale salad in the world's not going to give her that, right? And, you know, with Emily doing her book tour, I'm sure she's finding she probably needs more sleep. She needs more support. There's always surprises when you're doing a tour, and she's looking for, like, the perfect support. Again... You know, you can take all the supplements in the world, you can go and run at the gym, but you're not going to get that. So, you know, what I want to leave you with, what I realized, my big aha moment, is find out what you need and fill that need. Great advice. I love the uh, soul hunger and the nature high fives. That's a good one. Um, So, uh, yeah, so aha moments. I think um, it's it's so important to be able to, um, you know, I, I think one of the most important things about meditation is that it actually opens you up to see the aha moments, right? Because how do you have them? You, they, you know, the universe could be trying to smack you in the face with them and you don't see them if you're not, you know, present. I think that's what meditation helps you do is kind of like open, open you up so you can actually receive the aha moments when they're around to be seen. Um, so I have a site, The Wellbeing Hacker, and really this is a brand that I just launched about a year and a half ago um, because I realized that, you know, my whole life I've been obsessed with well-being. And when I say well-being, I don't just mean wellness. I, I've been obsessed with just l- living my best life. I don't, I, I don't know if it, you know, I had cancer at, at five, so five years old, I didn't really know what was happening to me, so I can't really say that's when I made the decision. I I didn't even know, you know, I really didn't know I had cancer. Um, But uh, I, everything I I gravitated towards in my life has always been about things that will, you know, help me learn more life skills. Like I gravitated towards sales when I was in college because I thought that was the best way to learn about relationships and, you know, increasing my own drive and motivation. And um, and I gravitated to uh, Gallup. I was a management consultant there because they had this, like, world-changing mission. But all of the uh, consulting work that we did uh, for businesses was about, uh, you know, looking at people as the greatest asset of a company. So we taught organizations how to improve employee engagement and, you know, improve their managers and stuff to really value, you know, their people. And so I have always gravitated towards these types of concepts. And I think the aha moments in my life that have, you know, I I think of aha moments almost as like course correctors, you know, almost like a, uh, a, a switch on a railroad track, you know. It's like the aha moment happens and all of a sudden, you know, you're, the train's headed a, a, a different direction. So when I think about, like, what my, 
you know, my business is about now, which is all about elevating the well-being of individuals and workplaces with the ultimate mission of having society look at well-being as the metric for success. Like, that's kind of my, the, my biggest mission. And so when I think of the aha moments that have led me there, I think one of the, um, the biggest ones for me was when I was at Gallup and their research came out about well-being all around the world. And some of you might be familiar with this now. There's more happiness reports that are coming out more and more these days. But their research was really the foundational, the first that ever came out in measuring quality of life all around the world. And when I saw that, I was like, this is so important for the world because if you can measure well-being in a legitimate way, in a way that countries can measure well-being and when, co when companies can take this metric really seriously, then the world can change because you have to change the metrics of success in society. Right now we have the wrong metrics for success, and that's why it's a shit show out there. Um, so, but when you change metrics, everybody, everything changes. The, the conversations change, boardroom, you know, meetings change because people are talking about something different. You know, presidents are talking about something different. Maybe not ours, but they, you know, would would be if they're more conscious. Um, so, so when I had this like aha moment, like wow, this can really change things. I, at that moment, I remember I emailed my CEO and I said. I want to be the best in the world at well-being. And I was 23 at the time when I said this, which probably sounded a little crazy, but he used to always tell people in the company, find something you want to be the best in the world at. But it, there was something about that. It was like, it just like solidified for me. Like, a, you know, that was definitely that course correcting moment of like, I could feel it in my soul of like, this is what I want my life to be about. Like, this is, you know, what, what I want to do in the future. And, and it's evolved over the years now since I've, said that. That was almost 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, I think when those aha moments happen, they really are just aligned with your soul and you have to, like, hear them and then do something with them and have them come out, you know, in your, in your business in some way. So that was, that was probably the biggest one that's, you know, changed my life and the direction of, of my business. <clears throat> great. All great answers. Thank you. Another one about business and leadership for you guys. Um, so a big part of what Conscious Enterprises aims to do is to reveal the symbiotic relationship between impact and introspection. You can't maximize one without the other. What have your experiences been with getting the biggest external impact by looking internally or introspecting? My whole business is built on exactly that. <laughs> like I basically teach people how to make more impact in whatever they're doing by giving them the tools to turn inward, right? And, and a lot of people think that meditation is about quieting the mind. I think that's crap. I think that the mind thinks involuntarily just like the heart beats involuntarily. And a lot of people feel like meditation failures because they're trying to clear their mind. To me, meditation is about taking your right brain to the gym. And your right brain is the piece of you that is downloading your intuition from nature. And so if you turn inside, if you are introspective, if you take the time to de-excite the nervous system, you actually have a fighting chance of hearing this little whisper, this little intuition intuitive voice of nature cueing you as to where and how nature wants to use you to go and deliver your fulfillment. And when a lot of us are dealing in this old model of like make as much money as we can, be you know get as high up the patriarchy and the hierarchy as we can, then we're willing to um, 
get into the, what I call the I'll be happy when syndrome, right? I'll be happy when I graduate from college. I'll be happy when I make a million dollars. I'll be happy when I start this company. I'll be happy when I go on vacation. I'll be happy when I get back on Wi-Fi and I can answer my work emails. I'll be happy when I have a kid. I'll be happy when this kid stops breastfeeding. I'll be happy when this kid gets the F out of my house. You know, it's like we just put our happiness at the end of this carrot and then we die. And, and a lot of people live their whole lives seeking their happiness externally. And what I find that meditation does for us is it allows us to access our fulfillment in the only place that it resides, which is inside of us. You're flooding your own brain and body with dopamine and serotonin so that you stop becoming so attached to the external goals. And because you're taking that right brain to the gym, which is like the Wi-Fi router that is connecting you to creativity and intuition itself, those ideas, those cues are coming more easily, more readily. As Danielle said, it's like you can hear and see the aha moments when they're coming. And... Um, and I think that that just makes you more successful in an easier, more elegant way, no matter what your job is. And it certainly, it seems that my intuition has, has served me in this business as well, because I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater, <laughs> and so I know zero about running a business. And we've recently, I just realized that only 3% of female entrepreneurs crossed the seven-figure mark, and we did last year, which I'm really proud of. Um, and, and especially being a, we're female-owned and largely female-run, and it's a business in wellness, right? And, and I have no business training, and so I can attribute that only to my intuition. And so I think that it's, it's not an either or, it's absolutely an and. Congrats, that's a big accomplishment. Thanks. I feel very similarly to how Emily started out in that introspection is like everything in my life. I mean, most people who know me probably see me, you know, half the time in the world and half the time I'm like a yogi, you know, just hiding out. And, you know, it was interesting to be presented with this question when we got them because it made me introspect on how that actually impacts the outer. Because for me, they're so integrated that I've never actually separated them. So when I had to give it a little bit of reflection, I realized that what I actually do is I go inside, which actually isn't inside. It's just dropping out external noise and stimuli, which we're bombarded with, and that something happens in that space. We can call it intuition. We can call it touching source. We can call it just actually settling into what is. Any of those, all of those are happening. And I realized, you know, the impact that it's had on me personally, which is directly connected to my, you know, medical practice, is that it allows me to hear in a certain way, and this might, this is not meant to sound new agey at all, I'm not new agey, but there's something actually guiding me that's from the unseen world. And, you know, whatever your belief is out there, whether it be God, the universe, whether you're an atheist, something is still happening, you know, you know, behind these walls here, um, there's something beyond our control that assists us when we get quiet. And, you know, we may find ourselves making decisions that are very out of sync with what people actually think of us when we have more time for introspection. And that's because a lot of our personality is just a cover-up for that space. Another really important piece for introspection and how it's impact is that when you introspect, you're accessing that part which is impermanent. Everything else is going to die. That's the reality. Everything. And that essence nature in ourselves is impermanent. The more you reside in that 
and bring it out, the more powerful you are. So that's the more powerful you'll be in business, the more powerful you'll be in relationships, the more powerful you'll be with your own heart and your sense of self. That's what impact is, right? It's like it's a force. And how are you going to bring that force out? If you don't introspect and you rely on your partner, your teacher, your bank account, your anything that's external, and we have an earthquake. I'm from California. I've been in two big ones. And everything shakes, and you have no control and no warning, like hurricanes here. And you lose everything. Where do you go? You have nowhere to go. That's why people have mental breakdowns. And actually, because we're so, we have so much stimuli, and in the last few years, you know, because of our you know, president, which I'm not going to say anything else. Um, you know, I know my, me personally, I had so many people come to me with a lot of trauma. It just seems like the expression of trauma has been on the rise. I don't think there's more trauma happening. I just think people are, you know, willing to express it, which makes me happy because the more that you express and let the things out, the less that they're going to arise in, you know, health symptoms and then health diseases, right? But Making sure that you don't get into that state where you have like a complete mental breakdown, which can happen to any of us, is being able to introspect and going into source. And that's where meditation comes in, and I know we're going to talk about it more, but keep diving back inside, inside, because that place will always nourish you and serve you. And I know it has me. Thank you. Um, So since we've talking a lot about meditation I actually just want to talk about a couple other things that other ways that I think are important to introspect that are different than meditation um, because I think uh, you know in, to me meditation is the way to make introspection a daily practice um, but some of the other really important forms of introspection um, are also doing you know I, I think You've got to take some time to really invest in yourself, you know, whether that's doing some type of, you know, course or retreat or something that takes you outside of the typical life, right, out of, I call it the automaticness of life, right? So we're kind of, we, we get pulled into life very quickly unless we create interruptions. So meditation is a daily interruption to kind of stop that automaticness and say wait hold on a second you know what how do I want to change my day and change my life but then I think we need even you know stronger interventions we need to take the time to actually step away whether that means going somewhere you know and doing some uh, soul searching travel which I'm a huge believer in um, I've spent a lot of times alone on beaches with white paper in front of me, like just, you know, literally with n- nothing to do. I went to Haiti one year for Thanksgiving. My mom wanted to kill me. And um, I just sat on a beach by myself, literally the only person on a resort in this little place in Haiti. And, um, and But those are the times that I would come back, and I just felt like it was a major course correction, you know. And... We've got to, like, really pull ourselves out, especially, I think, being in New York where it's, like, you know, you're literally just kind of sucked into this, like, vortex of life. And so to make sure that you're being aligned with source and stuff, you've got to create these interruptions. So I think, you know, I think uh, uh, intentional travel can do it. I think taking the time to do a 
I've done a lot of self-development courses in my life, but I swear by them because we've got to keep ourselves on track. And they create that space in life and that interruption that I think is very important. And unfortunately, the only other thing that I think does it is the major um, life or death moments that we have, the big wake-up calls. Those are the other sources of in, um, introspection that create an interruption in our life and say, whoop, I don't want to go this way anymore, I want to go that way. Um, so in order to create a near-death experience without having one, you either have to get really grounded in your meditation practice or create interventions in your life that are similar to that near-death experience. So to me, those are kind of like the different forms of introspection that I think we need, we need almost every single one of them in, in some, some form in our life over the course of our, our life. Great insights, ladies. Thank you. Um, we'll do one more question, and then we'll go to Q&A because I think we're running short on time. The last question is about wellness and mind-body connection. So the connection between mental health and overall wellness and energetics, as I like to call it, you guys are calling it spirituality or other words, I like to use energetics. Um, so the connection between mental health, overall wellness, and energetics, although understood by many ancient cultures and civilizations, is just now beginning to be accepted by the mainstream and conventional science. How can we as entrepreneurs and professionals educate others about the importance of this mind-body energy connection? Well, I think this is a fascinating time to be alive because science is catching up to what these Indian dudes have been saying for 6,000 years. You know, it's like, oh, we've, we've known this stuff for a long time. And now, the, like now we can prove, okay, yeah, meditation is good for you. Yes, eating for your dosha, your body type is good for you. Travel is good for you. You know, journaling. And, and, but now we're actually able to see how different types of meditation are impacting the brain differently. You know, with, as, as neuroscience is getting more advanced, it's like people don't feel as... It's not as tertiary anymore. It's not as fringe anymore because science is backing it up. And this is creating an upward spiral because the more science there is, the more high performers are willing to out themselves as meditators. And then the more high performers are outing themselves as meditators, the more science follows behind that. And then it's, it's becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and I think that we're very close to... Um, it just being a no-brainer. Like, I think even now, no matter where you are, at least in the United States, you don't have to meditate, but you can't write it off, right? Just like you don't have to exercise, but no one can argue that exercise is not good for you. And I think now we're finally there with meditation where it's not just like a woo-woo waste of time. We're like, oh, yeah, it's good for you. I don't have time for it, but I know it's good for me. <laughs> um, and I think that we're realizing that what we've been doing is not sustainable. We can't just caffeinate ourselves all day and drink ourselves to sleep at night and wonder why we get cancer at 45. It's like, oh, maybe what I'm doing is not sustainable. I don't, actually, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I've heard that 44% of American adult women are on either anti-anxiety or antidepressants. You know, teen anxiety levels are higher than they've ever been. And so, and then this is not to be a judgment against anti-anxiety or antidepressants. I think they're very useful tools. And I think that just like meditation, it's a tool. And sometimes people meditate and need medication. So I'm not trying to proliferate any sort of stigma around it. But I don't believe that 44% of American women have a Zoloft deficiency. You know, I think that we've not been equipped with the tools to exercise and we're not having enough sun and we're not having enough sex and we're not having enough eye contact. We're having too much technology and we're eating food that isn't food. And it's just death by a thousand cuts. You know, and it's not one chronic thing. It's just 
and actually, you know, we've referenced, you know, our current administration, but to me the current administration is just the cancer diagnosis, right? But it's, it's the, that, and sometimes there is pediatric cancer, so I'm not trying to invalidate that, but sometimes cancer is a result of a lifetime of tiny, tiny imbalances. And, and just like a cancer diagnosis, it can be the thing that wakes you up and it allows you to just seize and suck the marrow out of the rest of your life, or it can be the thing that kills you. And I think that we, and by we I mean the people in this room and the people watching and the people who are even interested in a conscious enterprise conversation, we will be the ones who decide which one of those directions we go. Do we drive this bus off the cliff or do we turn it around and let it be the most impactful awakening experience that, that we've ever had? And I think that's an exciting time to be alive. I feel like this is a very interesting time that we're in because a lot of people are seeking this information, like Emily said, but it's also a time that we're the most disconnected. So it's very, very important to know that authentic intimacy is very different than just you know, being online, being on your phone, um, I don't, texting, you know, all of that, because that disconnects us even further, which is why I think people are reaching out. Because no matter how far we go with technology, and who knows, we may just all become AI, but it's not going to happen in our time, um, we are still going to have to go back to the basic foundation um, to feel healthy and feel good, which is sleep, food, and sex. Now, this is a whole other conversation we can do another time, but it doesn't just mean the obvious. It means what's nourishing you, like I talked about earlier. What touch are you getting? Healthy touch, not just sex as in the word that we all know, but throughout, like through your friends. Are you touching people? You know, I, you know I've been very surprised that 95% of the people, not just women, men too, that have come to me when I'm testing their oxytocin, which is the pleasure hormone that you get when you're like cuddly and juicy and happy and excited, it's below normal or breastfeeding, which we can't all just go to that route. Um, you know, most people have it below average when I test it hormonally even the ones in great relationships. So we're not connecting. We're not connecting to each other. We're not even connecting in our relationships, right? So that brings me to the second really important piece on you know, what we all can do to connect our mind and bodies because they're actually not separate. So it shouldn't be that hard because the reality is they're not separate. We're not trying to do something that's unnatural. We just need to recognize what actually is. There's an exercise I learned a long time ago, and I give it to, you know, most of my patients that have more trouble with, you know, connecting to their five senses and ones that have had trauma situations. And I won't, like, run us all through it now, but I'll just speak it out. You sit in a chair, and you visualize with your whole body's senses, like, open, eyes closed, your most pleasurable, beautiful experience that you've ever had. You know, sensual, you know, you bring it on just completely, like you get in your body. Every part of it, how did it taste? How did it feel? What, was it, what were the sounds around you? You take a snapshot. Then you shake that off, and then you do this next one, which can be hard for people who've had a lot more trauma, so don't do, you know, your really scary, violent, traumatic experience if you've unfortunately had that. But something that's been distasteful for you. You close your eyes. Again, you get into that experience. All five of your senses, you run through it, right? How did it feel? How did it taste? How did you feel? And you could feel yourself contracting. You know, you'll feel maybe you'll start sweating. You'll get angry. 
You take the snapshot. Now, when you go through the world and you have to engage with someone in a business relationship, or you're choosing to date someone, or you're choosing whether you should cross the street or not. You know, in New York, we have to be careful where we are, a lot of different cities. Or if you're choosing even something as simple, which actually is not that simple for people, what you're going to put on your plate, you can go back to that snapshot. Does it feel pleasurable? Is it nourishing you? Or is it bringing you down? You have that reference point. It's really important to have a reference point for your feelings. That's what's going to connect your mind and body. And the more that you practice it, you will make decisions that actually serve you, not take from you or drain you. And a lot of those decisions come from the disconnection. You know, if we're just out there and just looking at, oh, you know, what does this magazine say is good for us? What does this person say is good for us? We're going to lose. We're going to be unhealthy. You know, and a lot of my patients will say, no, 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 just give, give it all to me. And I said, no, like, how did it feel for you? How did it feel? We did this for a month. How did it feel? This is specific for you during this time. If you move to Hawaii, new protocol. New York requires a new protocol. Someone who's breastfeeding has a new protocol for what they actually need, right? And the key always is going to be to go back to your feelings and connect them to your body. So I hope that exercise helps you. Yes. Can I ask a follow-up question on that? Yeah. Um, so is the exercise, like, now that I have the imprint of, like, most pleasurable, not so pleasurable, I yeah. feel that imprint in my body, and then if I'm deciding what I want to eat or if I'm going to cross the street, I'm just like, oh, which, which feeling is this? Yeah, so you okay. can feel if that ignites that same pleasurable feeling or the distasteful feeling. Mm-hmm. And that way you connect to, you know, you may not, discrimination is very hard for most people. Choices are very difficult unless you have that, internal center down in which to choose and again like something I said earlier and I you know I feel this often too my mind might tell me a decision's right but my body is screaming no oh that's a really important point when the body screams no everybody listen (laughs) it sounds so simple and I know it's it's a famous book that I also love has that title but that is what creates disease And we all fall to it because sometimes we don't want to listen. We want that person, that life, that job, that home, that path. But our body is saying, no, don't do it. Stop, slow down, you know, whatever, fill in the blank, leave him, divorce him, pick that one, you know, whatever, pick that meal. And, you know, it's not, you know, just a clarifying thing here. It's not always obvious. Sometimes it may be that you need that chocolate cake, you need that, you need to have that glass of wine. It's not just alcohol's bad, meat's bad, fast food is bad. It's not always the case. In that moment, you know, if you've ran like a major marathon or you've exerted a lot of energy and you have the digestion for it, you may be able to eat that heavier meal that, you know, take on more and you digest it and the next day you go back to your, you know, routine. So, yeah, going back to that imprint is really key, you know. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, do you want to go on to the next question, and I'll start with that one? Are you sure? Yeah. Do you want to answer this one? Um, I kind of lost it, lost it again, and I'm thinking that okay. you probably We're need go to, to Q&A. keep going. Yeah. We'll, we'll start with you on the Q&A. Oh, oh I thought there isn't another one. Yeah, we're running short on time. So All right, could you just say the last part yeah. for to me? I just want to have it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're talking about um, uh, mental health, wellness, and energetics. Uh And how can we as entrepreneurs and professionals educate others about the importance of this mind, body, 
energy connection and oh, okay. steered into a few different nooks. But <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, yeah. I just wanted it in my head. Okay. So, um, I, th I think first and foremost, just like as I mean, the mu as much as we can just be, you know, kind of practicing this more conscious mentality as professionals and living by that and just being that example in our workplaces and our lives is really like the, you know, it's kind of the, the first place to start. Um, I, because I am such a believer in this, you know, idea that we need to be changing our metrics of success in society, I think that's, that's another way to be either encouraging our workplaces to change how we're, you know, measuring success. Are we measuring the engagement of employees and the well-being of employees? Are we looking at alternative numbers like that to really make sure that people are thriving? Um, so encouraging and being having a more critical lens as to how we're measuring that success in our own life, in our workplaces, and in, you know, the organizations that we're a part of, even in education systems and stuff like that, to say, are they more, are we making sure that they're designed in a way to help people excel and to thrive in their life, or is it, you know, more about the, the bottom line, right? And that's important, too. It's just that we're focused too much on that side. So if I think if we are put a more critical lens on our uh, selves and how we see our success and making sure that it's actually aligned with source and aligned with um, the deepest part of, of who we are and the things that are truly meaningful and important to us in our lives, you know, that's, that's what success really is. And sometimes it's hard to stay focused and grounded as that being what success is because we're surrounded by, you know, social media that paints a certain picture of everybody's life and we're caught up in this, you know, successful city, right, and, and, and pulled into so many different things maybe that aren't important to us. So um, just being, I think, that, that being the kinds of professionals and people that, you know, regardless of what's going on around us, stay true to ourselves and then encouraging our organizations to, you know, to do the same thing, I think is, is really important. Good answer. Thank you, ladies. So I think we're going to go to one quick Q&A for one lucky person who wants, an a wants to ask a question. Do we have any questions? All right. Danielle, can we get the mic over here? Or mic runner, Danielle? I just want to say, wow, thank you. Like, I just found you all very inspiring in terms of your energy. I just, I felt the positivity, and it, it like, it, it, it really was emanating. So I was wondering if there was, I'm assuming that you either have a daily practice that you do, or if there was some um, shift in your mindset that you made that really helped you to step into your power because like I really I feel it from each of you so I was just wondering if there was like a key thought it might have been an affirmation it might have been a practice that helped you to like really embody the leadership that you all are bringing let's start with you Danielle for this one sure um, honestly I I, uh, I I think a huge part of it is I mean I when I was 19, I started doing, I mean, you guys probably have heard of Landmark Education in this room. I'm sure there's some people who have done it. And when I was 19, I did a 
course there. And I've done so many courses there, and I've also, um, you know, done this other stuff, just whether it's, like, retreats, and I've worked with Deepak and stuff, so I've done a lot of work with him, and done the solo travel, and so I, and so I consider it, like, a, a huge investment in myself. You know, what people might spend on therapy, I feel like I spent on the front end of my life. Um, and I feel really grateful for that, honestly. I don't know why it makes me kind of want to cry. Maybe it's the mom hormone. <laughs> but it's like, you know, um, we have this thing about self Like, we don't, like, our minds are what's making us, our minds are running the show. Like, we're in a conversation with ourselves all the time. That's the conversation that runs everything. It's a conversation with ourself, and then whatever conversation we're having internally is what ends up happening externally. And so if we don't invest enough time in, you know, managing the fundamental aspects of who we are and really invest in ourselves, in our own minds, it's like we're not building a foundation to stand on. So then I think we end up, you know, going through life and pulled into things that we don't really want to be doing. And then all of a sudden, that near-death experience happens, and we're like, oh, crap, I should have done something about this a long time ago, or we're in therapy for a really long time before me. And so I, 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 don't, I don't think I was, like, born with anything. I don't think, but I, I invested a lot of time, money, and energy into all of that stuff, I think, at a fairly young age, which has just helped me tremendously. And then I have had coaches and people in my life that, you know, were just been a huge part of, you know, it's not a matter of being confident or, um, you know, powerful or anything like that. It's, it's more about um, just feeling more connected with, so like, who I am and, and what I want in my life. And I think that's what it really, you know, that's really what it, what it comes down to. Thank you. For me, the key thing is that I always give space to silence. It's what nourishes me the most. Um, I have a very in-depth meditation practice, and it changes because, you know, I have a very specific spiritual teacher. But that's not the actual point. The point is when I wake up in the morning, the phone does not go on. You know, I have a ritual. I practice yoga every morning. I meditate every morning. And, you know, no matter how long or short it is, that's my time. And I feel fortunate that, you know, I've created a business model and I have to because I'm giving, you know, I'm a caregiver, that I'm able to tap into that. Um, so I think just having a structure that's for you. Whatever happens in that, that's up to you, you know. And I love travel excursions. I love retreats. I love pulling out of the city. I've been spending a lot of time in California. Some people here know because that's what my inner voice told me to do. Everything in life is a contraction and expansion. So when you need to contract, give it to yourself or you'll get sick. You know, that's the thing, right? Um, there was a second part to that question that you asked. Was it, what was the second part? A mindset or a belief that helped you shift as well. Thank you. Yeah, that was it. So the second part is it's about choice, you know. And I definitely have wavered here and there where, you know, a lot of people that I know will be taking – you know, different types of vacations or outings or are able to go to more events. But when I spend one and a half hours to two hours a day, and I'm an entrepreneur, when I'm spending two hours of that on yoga and silence, I don't get to do all of the outer stuff. 
but I don't look at it as deprivation. And a lot of my friends will say, well, how are you committed to that? How is it? How is it? How do you do it? But for me, it was a choice early on, and now it's not even a choice. It's natural. I brush my teeth, the mat goes out. Like, it's just, it's rote. And the key thing there is that it's not punishment. It's actually feeding something in me, and it's getting something from source, and it's just, it becomes a natural thing, because that's giving to me more than those other things would. But it's not about excluding those other things either, right? Sometimes you need that. You know. You just know when you need people. You know when you need to go out. And... I think that's a key thing. One other thing that I think we haven't really mentioned tonight, which might, is important, is a lot of people don't even know what meditation is. And I, I have a lot of friends who come to me and patients who get scared, and they say, we can't meditate. And that's because I think people have an idea about what it is. You have to sit on a mountain or you have to sit for an hour in quiet. It's not that. You couldn't do that because, we're, you know, that's like being a trained athlete. Just give yourself time for you in silence, even if it's five minutes. You know, and I call it bookends, like start your morning off, start your night off for you, even if it's one minute. And watch what happens slowly. You'll start relishing in that time, and it'll slowly grow, and then you'll find what's the best meditation practice for you over time. Yeah, I mean, my answer is not surprisingly meditation. <laughs> um, but I will add to that also Ayurveda also doing, I haven't done Landmark, but my life coach was trained in that. And so it's a, it's a, to me, it's like a software hardware. To me, the meditation is the hardware upgrade. It's the thing that's defragging your brain computer so that you can run whatever software you have. So I think if you're a Christian, it's going to make you a better Christian. If you're Jewish, it's going to make you a better Jew. A lot of people are afraid that meditation is going to be in conflict with their religion. But no, it's just allowing you to act in accordance with whatever philosophy you believe in um, I think that you know as we said earlier the mind and body are the same thing so if your gut is off your mind is going to be off if your mind is off your gut is going to be off and I think just recently we discovered that the gut is sending 12 times more signals to the brain than the brain is to the gut which is like well you know you could be doing all the you know all the self-help in the world but if this thing is off it's going to be harder to have a positive outlook um, so I think it's really looking at the whole picture another thing we've not really mentioned tonight is exercise you know, my postpartum was brutal. I had, it, it was just, took me right to my knees. And I was like, I've been meditating for 11 years. I've been studying medicine and all the self-help in the land. Why is this so hard? And, um, and I think we could, it's another panel for another day. But when I finally could move my body again, the exercise really just took me to a new, a new level. Um, so, yes. And I obviously have some thoughts about meditation. I think that it is a skill, and I think that to expect yourself to know how to magically do it without any training is um, just not the easiest way, you know? Because like, then what happens is people sit down and are like, okay, brain, stop thinking. Sure would like a snack. Snacks are delicious. I suck at meditation. I quit. And that's the beginning and the end of most people's meditation career. So I, I mean, I'm a meditation teacher, so I'm biased, but I do think that it's just faster to have someone guiding you on that journey. Thank you. So I think that's our time. Um, we're going to announce the raffle winner when Danielle gets me the name in just a moment. And in the meantime, ladies, where can everyone find your work? 
your websites, anything like that you want to share? So I'm at Ziva, so Z-I-V-A, meditation.com. That's where our online course, our live course, we have a studio in Soho. It's really beautiful. And we do a live course about once a month. We also have an online training, but everything you can find at zivameditation.com. And then the book we have right back there, and I actually teach a technique in the book. Um, and the book is called Stress Less, Accomplish More. If you wanted to get it on Amazon, if you don't want to look at home in your book. And I'll sign them all. We only have like 15 or something, but I'll sign them if you guys want. I don't know if that matters. <laughs> uh, you could find me at karunanaturopathic.com, and I know that's a mouthful, so it's K-A-R-U-N-A-N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-I-C.com, and I do one-on-one sessions. I'll also be offering a very unique beauty detox that will be coming up and it will involve not only you know taking out all the poisonous foods but learning about what actually is toxic to you decluttering your home decluttering toxic people from your life which i had an article that went viral on huffington post on that i guess a lot of people need to know about that um and how to bring in what's replenishing so you know stay tuned for that Um, I also have a product that's called Dr. Karuna's Collagen Generator, that it's not just collagen, it actually helps to generate your own collagen, which helps to bring back hair growth, bring lustrous hair, uh, glowing skin, helps with wrinkles and bone strength, and we have a limited supply uh, back there if anybody is interested. Interested. <laughs> my family makes fun of me because I always raise my eyebrows when I talk, so I'm getting these like lines that are just permanently there because my eyebrows are always raised. Um, so my website is well is wellbeinghacker.com, um, and uh, you can actually subscribe directly if you text WBH to four 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 nine nine nine, and that'll kind of like you should say that again. Thank you. Um, so you text WBH to the number 444999, and that automatically subscribes you to my stuff. Three fours, three nines. Three fours, three nines, right, WBH, you just text that. Thank you, Emily. Um, uh, yeah, wellbeinghacker.com, and then I have a, uh, I have a retreat in Costa Rica called an Ikigai retreat in uh, uh, August uh, 31st through September 7th, so check that out as well. That sounds fun. Put that in my calendar. Um, all right, so our raffle winner is um, must be present here, FYI, to win. Um, the winner is going to receive an autographed copy of Emily's book, some collagen supplements, and a online course. And the winner is Catherine Nguyen. Aha, you win. You can come redeem afterwards. All right, great. Thank you all so much for being here, and thanks to everyone on the live stream. Thank you to Urban Zen and the whole team, and um, for all the staff for helping. Thank, thank you for you, organizing thank you. this. Thank you, panelists. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Roxy. You're amazing. Yeah. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you for having us.